This is episode 25 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Ken Beacondam on the show and Ken is a very interesting real estate investor who is specialized specifically in duplex conversions. Ken has a background in both general contracting and in design and he's combined those skills to facilitate his own investments, his own conversions and this is where he's going in finding a bungalow and he's converting the basement into a secondary unit. Um, He'll also do some other creative types of separations to create extra units. But when we create extra units, we create extra money. In today's discussion, Ken and I get into how you can deal with the permitting department, how zoning bylaws work, how how official plans work. Uh, we, we get into a little bit of the nerdy stuff, but also just stuff that you can use, stuff that's going to help you in your investing career. Um, even if you aren't handy and you haven't taken on any reno projects just yet, if you can understand how properties can change, if you can understand that, hey, with a building permit or, hey, if I apply for this this minor variance um, to you know be able to add a second unit, I can actually add a lot of value here and it, I actually might make a lot of money or I might make a lot of free equity. Not free, but we'll call it sweat equity, equity from, from putting in the work. Um, so there are a lot of possibilities and for investors thinking about taking it to the next level, and starting to grow their portfolio and their net worth more more aggressively, I can tell you from my own experience that working with a municipality and getting permits and doing renovations the right way has been one of the biggest drivers for growing my personal net worth. And it sounds like it's been a huge thing for Ken too. Uh, Ken and his family have over 50 units uh, together and Ken personally has 12 units and these are all duplexes. So Ken's a very knowledgeable guy. He uses his service to help both himself and other people. Today, he tells us the story. We get into a lot of really valuable stuff. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Ken Beacondam on the show. Ken, how you doing? Awesome, man. It's great to to be here and uh, to be on this podcast with you. Yeah, it's great to have you in the new rendition of the studio, which I just just set up today. So the uh, multi-camera angles and... uh, and some better lighting so you know slowly evolving as i go but um i've uh, i've not yet had someone on the show that that is into uh, more of the urban planning side of things helping people get permits which is just such a huge part of this business which i have not really dug into at all and it's a huge part of what i do too so i thought we could nerd out and uh, <laughs> yeah. and talk about this stuff a little bit um you know talking to investors about how how it's important to know this stuff or work with somebody who knows how to get you approvals, how to get you minor variances, um, all that stuff. So Ken, rather than me rehash what it is you do, because I'm not even fully sure what it is that you do. I have uh, have a few little tidbits that I know. Uh, tell me about yourself and, and, and your business. Yeah. So basically, um, I've kind of evolved into this uh, place I am uh, where I am, am right now as far as helping investors with their permit work. Um, and dealing with the cities and uh, trying to get projects uh, approved and through. So kind of to uh, step back a bit, um, so I grew up in a real estate family. Um, my dad was buying investment properties uh, you know, since he was in his early 20s. And uh, so we always had properties around. Um, 
And I remember as a kid, you know, going out to some of the properties and just helping, uh, you know, clean up in between tenants. And uh, there's a lot of carpet, you know, back in those days and sort of steam cleaning carpets and stripping wallpaper and painting. And and so that was kind of like my childhood growing up was just kind of having these properties around. Um, And uh, so, you know, as I grew up, um, kind of became uh, of age, you know, then I started kind of buying, uh, buying my own properties. And uh, so now, um, you know, I'm managing, uh, you know, my dad's properties. I'm also managing my own properties um, and helping uh, my brothers and stuff with some of their investment properties. So, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, we've kind of developed, uh, you know, a, a decent size, you know, portfolio to where we're at now. Um, and so that that allowed me to be able to move full time into to real estate investing uh, just coming up on two years now. You're a full time investor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell me what your average day looks like. So my average day. Okay. So my average day. Um, so I, I'm usually out of the house by eight thirty in the morning. Um, and we do live on a hobby farm. So I got about half hour worth of some chores to do around the farm. I got to, you know, let the animals out, feed them, uh, give them water, hay, you know, make sure they're all good to go for the day. Um, and then I'm on the road by nine. So, uh, from there I could be heading out to one of our projects that we're renovating, um, checking in on the guys, seeing, uh, make sure the projects are going s- smoothly, answer any questions. These are your projects or clients' yeah. projects? Uh, both. Both. Both actually. So, um, okay. like we're on, uh, we're on, uh, I think we're on seven different houses right now renovating. Um, and I would say, um, you know, four of them are clients' houses, three of them are mine. Um, so you have three reno projects on the go right now that are yours, four that are clients. What are the nature of these renos? So these are all, uh, duplex conversions so, so duplex all, conversions yeah that's yeah. uh okay so that's your bread and butter doing the duplex conversions. yeah one of them is is one of our or uh, a triplex building like an older it used to be a corner variety store mm-hmm. but now it's uh we've made it into a triplex um and so we're just renovating the main floor ground unit um so it's not really a conversion it's just kind of renovating one of our existing properties but um but but yeah so they're basically like I, we've really been doing a lot, just a lot of duplex conversions since seems to be the name of the game right now. Yeah. That's um, so for those who aren't familiar with the Hamilton area, it's, it's really common in Hamilton to take like a 1000 square foot bungalow, maybe a little bit more ideally, and basically finish a secondary unit in the basement, usually two bed, I would think. Yeah. Like it's, um, you know, some cities only allow two bedroom basement suites like Brantford has a bylaw, which only mm-hmm. permits uh, two bedrooms. In the okay. basement, um, uh, you know, Hamilton doesn't have a bylaw provision that limits the amount of bedrooms uh, for the basement. So a lot yeah. of investors are trying to squeeze mm-hmm. in three, um, you know, to get the added to rent. Right. And I think that uh, we'll we'll talk about ideal layout as we go. Um, but I want to press a little bit more on you and, and what it is that you're doing so so that our listeners and viewers can, can get an idea for, you know, how Ken's involved in this and, and how how involved you are as a real estate investor. So when did you buy your first property? So I started buying my own properties um, back in 2010. Um, okay. Yeah, bought my first uh, condo. It was actually, uh, I was still in my last year of university. Okay. And um, and I actually went to school in the States, in Michigan. So I spent four years down there. And um, so, I, but I did buy a condo up here in, in Brantford. Um, and so just my first, uh, you know, foray into real estate investing. Uh, it was a good little little condo, um, not much, eighty five thousand to buy at the time. Oh, that's cheap. And um, I just sold it recently. 
but um, but it, it it did did well. It covered itself and and, and it was good. So that's kind of my my first step. Um, then uh, when my wife and I got married, we uh, were you know looking for our you know first first home as a couple. Um, so we bought a little bungalow by McMaster um, in Hamilton, McMaster University, and so uh, Hamilton and uh, West Hamilton. And um, yeah, so very first thing we're looking for a bungalow to convert to put a basement apartment in. So this was in 2012. So um, 2012 was my first kind of um, my first, you know, what we would, you know, commonly call now duplex conversions and basement apartments and stuff like that. Um, Like I remember doing basement apartments back uh, with my dad, you know, you know, 15 years ago. Um, But, you know, back then, like like nothing was really being done with permits because, you know, it was much more difficult with the uh, with the municipalities to uh, to legally convert. Yeah, they didn't like them. There was there was no real. Um, I remember in London, that was that was kind of my stomping ground for a long time. Is you know the, the idea of of being able to add a second unit in a single family residential zone was preposterous and never going to happen until uh, July thirty first, twenty seventeen, where the floodgates opened. Yeah. Um, so, are you primarily based in in Hamilton or Brantford? Which ones? So, I live in Brant County, which is basically right in between Brantford and Hamilton. Okay, so, so you're like, servicing both. Yeah, okay. that's kind of my main stomping ground is, is Brantford and Hamilton areas. Um, I do travel further for permit work, so like I do go up to St. Catharines and Barrie and London. Um, you know, basically an hour and a half radius of of Brantford. I'll I'll go up. Yeah, like, I've done stuff, um, some permit work up in Barrie, but um, but yeah, I try and just stay around close to home. You know. Okay. Um, so, okay. So you said it was 2012 that you bought near McMaster. Yeah. And you converted it. Was that done with permit? No, no. Okay. So, no. so that was just, let's, let's get it done. Uh, what, what next? That was your home, right? You can, you yeah. had a unit. Yeah. So we okay. rented out the basement to some students. Um, and then basically a year later we bought another one. And a year after that, we bought another one, um, in the same neighborhood. Okay. So student rentals then yeah. everything. Yeah. Were they all converted into multi-unit or? Yeah, so uh, two of them were converted into duplexes. Uh, uh, one and those the the next two we did do it with permits. Okay, um, but our first one we didn't. So, okay, so you started well, doing. Well, no, a- when I say a permit, like we did pull a permit for a basement, a, a, a finished basement. Okay, but it wasn't a, a permit for like a duplex. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. So, I mean, obviously for our friends in the States, every municipality is a little bit different, but the governing rules at the top are going to be a bit different too, uh, as to, you know, what, what you can get away with and what you can't. Now I know here in Ontario, if you have like a house set up as two separate units, I've heard people say that as far as leasing goes, you can actually lease them separately as long as the lease terms coincide. So the start date, end date. Um, as long as basically the terms on the lease are the same. I don't know if you've heard that. I've never tried it. Um, I'd definitely be interested in knowing more. Yeah, like I've in never terms of- really heard of that here. Um, like if they're two separate units, they're two separate units. They can be completely different leases. Yeah, no, I'm saying if they weren't legally two separate units, right? Because you're talk- when you have oh, an okay. illegal unit, now the enforceability of, of a lease becomes a whole other muddy area now this is why i've never gotten into illegal units but i'm sure you've seen a lot of it in your business and how that works from a rental standpoint i've never really seen that being an issue you've never seen an issue no okay no i've I've 
Personally, I, I haven't seen it. Um, no, that's good. But I mean, I'm not I'm, paralegal, so I don't, don't we can't take give legal advice. Don't take yeah. my uh, advice yeah. on that. But what are your thoughts on 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 doing illegal units? Like uh, illegal them? units? Yeah. Well, like I think these days, um, you know, the province and in the uh, municipalities are making it much easier to legalize um, and. To uh, go ahead and do a renovation without a permit now is kind of an old school way of thinking. Um, yeah. and, and from what I can see, it's a lack of knowledge around the whole yeah. permit uh, process, the whole building, per- the, the building code bylaws. So, uh, you know, people who don't want to pull a permit, they're just they're afraid of, of you know, getting caught or, or, or the unknowns or the extra expense. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the reality is, is that. If you're going to renovate properly, like if you're going to, you know, get a good contractor in there, if you're going to build like you should, it shouldn't cost you any more to build with a permit or without a permit if you're building correctly, you know, Um, except for the cost of the permit, obviously. Right. And and there's a certain, well, there's not a certain risk. There's, There's a massive risk to doing it without a permit because, I mean, this is why I've not done that because I, I used to look at, well, what if I could add an extra bedroom that's not legal? You know, what if I, you know, do something, you know, you do your, do your five bedrooms in London with a permit and then maybe add an extra bedroom, uh, illegally, like one, they could come in and say, that's not a bedroom. You can't use it anymore. You get, you know, uh, basically a bylaw enforcement officer tell you to stop. Uh, so you get that. now how much money have you spent finishing an area, right? Have you spent $20,000 of extra money doing that when it's not usable? So, to me, I think that the biggest risk with this stuff is you're you're basically putting yourself in a position where you may or may not really have something. You may or may not really have uh, something that that a seller or a, sorry a buyer one day should ever actually place any value on. Yeah, like the biggest problem you know I see is people don't think about it at the time when they buy the house about the permit, but when they go to sell the house, it's an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, the potential buyer could say. Um, I want to see a permit. Like an educated buyer will yeah. say, I like to see the permit for that in-law suite that you claim you have, right? right? And like they could be asking for more money on, on the house because um, it has this income suite. But if it's not a legal suite, it's not legal income. So then it's just a, a finished basement, right? So yeah. then, then- With maybe like a kitchen, which is yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. So, like, again, like, house sales are still driven by, you know, market comparables and, and stuff like that, right? And as long as people keep, you know, paying full price for these uh, finished uh, basement in-law suites, you know, like, we're, we're not going to see the added value for a legal suite, you know, until, until, until the public is, is educated on the difference, right? And there's a huge difference. There is a huge difference, but and this is why I brought this up and I probably didn't uh, segue into this conversation the best I could have, but I, I've seen it so many times and I wanted to ask you about that is, is what you're seeing. Cause I've, I've looked at properties throughout Hamilton, you know, it's, it's a triplex and the realtors listed, Oh, triplex this, they value it, you know, at a, at a 4% cap rate or whatever. And I'm like 4% cap rate for an illegal unit. Like I did the research. I looked up the bylaws doesn't conform. The city doesn't recognize it. And they're selling it as if it's authentic. They're selling it as if it's a legal, legal unit. And so the problem is, is that there's buyers out there who, one, just don't know, yeah. right? So they go ahead and they buy it as an investor or an uneducated investor. Um, and then, you know, um, you know, hopefully nothing happens. But, you know, all of a sudden, like a week after they purchased the thing, 
you know, there's a notice to comply on the door because a neighbor's complaining or something. And then they're like, what the heck? I thought this was a legal three unit. And then when you find out it's a legal single family home and the, uh, the zoning only permits, you know, two units. So now they're trying to have to, you know, bring this thing into compliance and yeah. it just becomes messy, right? Um, like I was helping a guy downtown Hamilton. Uh, he had a fourplex. There's four units in this, in this uh, downtown century home. And the zoning only permitted single-family homes. Now we could convert under Section 19, which allowed two units. So he had to. So we had to show on paper how this four-unit is actually only operating as a two-unit. You know, yeah. and so it gets very complicated, and, and there's parking issues so, and all sorts of. I'm uh, curious, how do you do that? Uh, and this is uh, something else I was trying to, and I, I did poorly earlier. I try and segue into this as well. Um, but the having. You can have something set up as two separate units as long as the door that in between them doesn't lock, right? So, yeah, so they can so, technically live separately, and it's one unit, they're one lease, but they're kind of living, living separate, separate units for functional pur- purposes. Yeah, functionally, like so. Basically, I'll see if it's a four level uh, house. Like so, each level is a unit, right? In this case, and so <clears throat> we had to show the basement and the main floor is one unit. And then the second floor and the third floor or the second floor in the attic, I suppose, as the other unit. Right. So then the stairwell is going between. We had to put fire doors on and stuff. Um, And then basically from a fire separation perspective, we had to show fire separation between the main floor and the second floor. Because that's anyways um, um, to go back to, you know, again, the cities are making it very easy to legalize. You know, they are changing their bylaws. Um, to make it easier for people to do it. Um, Why is that? Because basically we have a huge, um, you know, lack of housing. It's, you know, here here in Ontario, we have a, a huge lack of housing. Um, and, you know, the province is starting to come around and, and recognize that. Uh, but, you know, the governments are very slow to respond to the need. Um, and so they're making a few adjustments to, you know, the bylaws that, you know, will just help uh, people create more, accessory suites two units uh you know more apartments hey guys just wanted to hit pause on the episode for a second here and ask you to please take a moment and subscribe rate and review this podcast on apple podcasts so please just hit that pause button please make sure you give it a five-star review i'd really appreciate it it's going to help more people to find this podcast and uh, benefit from it as well so my understanding and, and you may know the specifics of it better but it was like maybe like six years ago seven years ago that the province passed a bill that said that the municipalities so all the different cities had to allow secondary dwelling units in single residential zones and uh they had x number of years to do it and i think that 2017 was the deadline in ontario so i believe in in pretty well any municipality you look now there should be some sort of bylaw that allows for you to add a secondary dwelling unit. Do you know if that's that's entirely correct? Yeah, I think um, um, like yeah, basically this year, last year was was some municipalities are just doing it this year. Okay. Like um, like for instance, Niagara just came around, um, and in January they just came out with their their second unit bylaw. Oh wow! Um, so they're kind of like one of the last ones to kind of come on board. Um, but uh, most min- uh, municipalities, at least the ones that I'm working in, um, have all have you no, know, all have second unit uh, bylaws now. They all do, yeah. Um, which obviously is huge. I mean, if you think about it from an investor's standpoint, if you can do something that's going to add, 
let's call it a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars of income and maybe net that's eight hundred if you could do something that's going to add that much income what's that worth uh in extra value right if all you have to do is apply a cap rate and now we, we're adding units and we're adding hundred thousand dollars in value so if we have something that's say a four a four percent cap rate in a neighborhood and i know i know not you know residential real estate not everybody looks at it this way but as an investor i do if i'm buying something and i know other people do too so say you know a unit we add adds eight hundred dollars a month in value so if we were to uh, multiply that by 12 so 800 times 12 so that's 9600 a year let's let's say that's net values like say you had it rented for 1500 but you got a portion for taxes a portion for your insurance and maintenance and management all that stuff you got 800 a month left over so that 9600 a month if we divide that by our four percent cap rate that gives us an extra two hundred and forty thousand dollars in value now that's pretty extreme probably most people don't aren't, aren't getting uh, quite that much more but you know what? I would say there's there was one I did in London where easily the second unit I added added that much value. Oh yeah, like I think no, say uh, say a duplex, you know, say a turnkey duplex, depending on which market you're in, you're in is say five hundred, five fifty or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it's a triplex, you know, it, it could be it could be six fifty, seven hundred, you know. Yeah, well, what I see, but it's still market. It, it is market driven, but I, you know, what I've noticed over, over my time, time in, in this, uh, game. And I know you're, we're uh, r- both roughly in uh, about the same time. I bought my first property in 2011. Um, I I've noticed that it just takes time for the market to catch up. It's not that they, they aren't thinking, you know, return on investment. They aren't thinking ROI. I think that when housing prices go up, it takes time for rent to catch up, but then rent finally does. And then it actually has another effect to push housing prices even higher. Once it catches up, then they just go higher again, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a constant uh, cat and mouse game uh, catching up. And what I've seen in Hamilton compared to what I've done in London is is the duplexes that are actually earning a bit more than, well, sorry, not more, but uh, roughly about the same as what I'm getting in London. Um, the London duplexes are actually uh, worth a touch more. So, which you wouldn't think, because London, for those who aren't familiar with the area, London is typically lagged behind Hamilton. But I've seen stuff sell, um, but they weren't up down. They were they were front back. They were semi detached. So there was a basically a second unit in the backyard, and I actually just finished one. I had it appraised at six hundred fifty five thousand. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, uh, that one is rented for just short of 3500 plus utilities okay yeah, yeah that's like Brantford. we're getting about 3200 and that's just like an up-down bungalow up-down bungalow duplex man that'd be a lot easier than building a giant thousand square foot addition in the backyard <laughs> yeah i know it obviously goes back to what you're buying for like the yeah. price point you're buying at and the uh the existing house like the layout if you yeah. can actually you know uh, add a unit within the envelope of the building or if you have to you know put in a, a, an addition on well i was kind of doing a different product like what i was doing was was more make it so that the second unit isn't like a worse unit make it so the second unit is actually better so i did it with vaulted ceilings and and chandeliers and uh so it was a 14 and a half foot vault with pot lights a two bed two bath unit in the back and uh the reason i didn't do three or try for three beds is is the most you can do in london is five bedrooms across both units oh, okay so i actually yep. ended up making the existing house less bedrooms and I took some of those bedrooms and put them over into the uh, the uh, addition, which is the separate unit. 
And uh, maybe I'll post some pictures of this. If you're on the YouTube version, you can see um, some pictures of the one I'm referring to. Um, and I'd certainly love some pictures of, of some of yours. We'll find a, a way to sneak them in here. Um, but yeah, so that I guess it was just a slightly different product. But so you're typically doing the up down. Um, yeah, the stuff that I'm personally involved in from stuff that I'm buying and uh, renovating myself or from, from our clients, most of the houses are your typical bungalow up down yeah. conversion. Um, like I'm doing one right now, which is a vertical split. Uh, we're doing front to back. Okay, um, so a front and back split. Now, why would you have chosen to do that instead of? Well, so this was a story and a half. So we we did the front and the uh, the second floor as one unit, and we did the back and the basement as as the other unit. Um, so just the way the house the house separates and divides in in the best most efficient manner, right? So it's about uh, it's all about being creative, like you know, looking for uh, opportunities where others don't see them. You know, looking at uh, a house and seeing how you can convert into two units, and it could be up down, it could be front to back, be side by side. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways of trying to convert an, a, an existing house. Yeah. And now I guess in terms of area of fire separation, it's not really any more or less doing it uh, vertical versus a horizontal split. Yeah. You still have to provide that continuous yeah. fire separation between the units. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, there's, there, and that's easier said than done. You know, there's, uh, you know, it can be more challenging when, um, you know, say if you have a, a, a two-story uh, section of the house and then you have a one-story section and then you have this attic above the one-story section that's connecting into the other space there. So sometimes you have to get up into the attic to like install fire separation, yeah. which can be a bit of a pain, yeah. right? Then working just across the basement ceiling in a typical bungalow conversion. So like there are different challenges with, with fire separation uh, yeah. with these conversion pro- projects. You know, I would say that's probably the number one um area of um struggle with a lot of contractors is getting that fire separation in and getting it done properly and getting it passed you know absolutely and it's definitely a challenge and and i think some municipalities have slightly different expectations uh, as far as inspectors go like i know the building codes are consistent but i've i've even noticed from one inspector to another like oh you can you know you can do it this way and others want yeah there's a huge um you know, disparity across the uh, the uh, different building departments about what they're accepting and not accepting. Yeah. And, and yeah, like you can say, the building code's the same across the province. But they all interpret the building code. They all and interpret then the, the building code different. Yeah. And each uh, chief building official has the right to kind of uh, make some of their own decisions yeah. internally with their department about what they're going to accept and not accept, you know, based on other factors that, you know, for instance, fire separation is one issue that sometimes the building department will have a special agreement with the local fire department that, you know, they'll, they'll accept reductions in, in, in fire separation, you know? So, um, yeah, it becomes, it becomes, you know, every project becomes its own, its own application. Cause again, you don't know which, which building uh, planner you're going to be assigned to. And, you know, there's differences between plan, plan examiners and what they're going to want to see and, you know, so it's, it becomes a fun game. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, it's it's uh, it's not for the faint of heart. And uh, to be honest, like at first when I was first getting into this, um, again, do, you know, due to my own lack of knowledge around the building code, um, it was a very frustrating process at the beginning. You know, and 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 anybody starting out with their first couple renovation jobs with permits, whether that's on the on the client side or on on the contractor side, it's very frustrating until you get up to speed. And you understand the building code and the bylaws. And then once you're kind of, once you know that information, it's much easier. 
I found for myself, once I knew how the bylaws worked in one city, I could, I could use that to basically get my feet under me, even in a new city. Like, you, you know, you, you kind of get to f- get a feel of how things work in any municipality. Uh, there's obviously a, a set of bylaws that, that just for our listeners, there's a set of bylaws that, that, that basically describe a land and say, this land is zoned, you know, R1, which means it's good for single family homes, but R1 might not mean the same thing in every municipality. So you have to kind of get a, get a feel. And w- the things I started to learn which I don't know if you did too, is that if you've got a whole bunch of single family homes and then you see a really big lot and you're like, wow, I could fit like a fourplex on there. And then there's a whole bunch of single family homes on either side of that. Cities don't like to do what they call a spot rezone. Like they don't want to say, okay, that one lot, you can do everything different there. And then we'll just keep this whole rest of the neighborhood uh, the same as single family homes. So I started to learn a few, like what should have been obvious things. You know, if you think about it, like cities are going to be on board with, you know, keeping neighborhoods consistent, right? If you've got a whole bunch of apartment buildings in a neighborhood already, your application to build an apartment building is probably going to go over pretty well. Talking about zoning and bylaws and, and zoning changes and, and like there's huge opportunity for the for the investor or, or the urban planner or the, or the developer who wants to do the work of actually going through that process. Because, again, um, stuff that's easy to do. Everybody's doing it, and there's no uh, huge gain to be made there. These duplex um, conversions, everyone's doing them. The, the the bungalow duplex conversion, where where you have the unfinished basement and you just finish it, like investors are frothing over those. Like they're they're going into bidding wars. It's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy now. Like everybody's doing duplex conversions now. Don't get me wrong. It's great. I love doing them. Yeah. You know, uh, it's been very good for me as far as my business because it's, my business is about doing conversions. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's but the writing is on the wall that duplex conversions are not going to make sense financially anymore. Well, yeah, they are. They already don't. I already know people who have who have gotten themselves into stuff and they're like, yeah, if I sold it. I wouldn't make any money. They're like, by the time I paid the realtor, I would at best break even. And they're in there. So they're working for free. See, that's, that's what I loved about what you said. I like to see opportunities that others don't see. Exactly. And the thing is, um, like I've seen the writing on the wall for a while um, with these things. It's, I'm, you know, people tell me what they buy the houses for. You know, it's part of our conversation when we're, uh, when I'm consulting with clients about doing conversions. And so I have a pretty good pulse on, you know, what people are currently paying for these these duplexes and these houses that that they're going to be converting. And, um, you know, as prices continue to uh, to tick up a bit, um, you know, unless rents really keep up, like, which they are, you know, rents are going up, but at the end of the day, um, we're going to need to start doing more units, like three units, four units. As long as rents keep picking up along with house prices, then, you know, duplex conversions can still make sense. But, um, but yeah, like it's getting tougher and tougher. Um, this is where people ha- are going to, um, you know, smaller and smaller communities to try and find these houses that they can still convert. And it drives them further away from their home, right? And so you end up going to these smaller outlying communities to do it. And there's still good opportunities there. Um, now, given population growth, like these other smaller communi- communities are still going to be like, you know, drastically increasing in population. Um, yeah. But uh, but I think for the creative investor, for the savvy investor, um, they're going to be already looking beyond two units, yeah. duplex conversions, and going to at least uh, three units. Um, you know, looking at doing triplex conversions, like single family homes to triplexes, or or getting into just 
wherever we can convert yeah. and add more units. Like I tell lots of investors, like whatever building you can find that you can legally convert and add residential units, like that's a, it's a gold, uh, like a golden opportunity, yeah. you know? Um, and these buildings comes in, in, in all different shapes and sizes, yeah. you know, it could be older industrial buildings or warehouses or whatever. Once you get in now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, because we know in Ontario, it's pretty common to see these these secondary units being added because that's that's sort of across the province that's been okayed. Here's where I've, I've seen things get sticky and that's where you, you want to add a third unit, but the zoning only allows for two units. Are you tackling pro- like projects where the zoning says max two units and are you trying to get a third or is that something that you plan to try to do? So it's very difficult because uh, once you have to go for a zoning change, it's a whole different level of approvals, costs, and timeline. And um, sometimes just to get that one extra unit yeah. doesn't make financial sense to go through that that zoning change. Um, now, depending, it goes back to what you're able to buy the house for. Like, so if you found some sweet wholesale deal, um, you know, and it's like like a hundred grand under market value, and and you know. Um, you can maybe afford to spend an extra 25 grand on doing a zoning change and all the studies and stuff to to get that extra unit to go from a two unit to, to a three unit. But there's a whole different level of risk because now, you know, it has to go to council and be go in front of council and be approved. And, um, you know, so it gets it gets trickier, you know, so if you've bought this property and the only way for you to you know, get, get a good return on investment or cash flow is based on a third unit and the zoning only permits two yeah. units. Like that's a huge gamble. Huge gamble. This, I love this. This is the conversation I wanted to get into is how do you decide which fights to pick? And in my mind, and I know it shouldn't be, but there's, so there's this process for, the, for our listeners who aren't familiar, there's this process called a minor variance process. And that's when you want to get an approval for say adding a second unit, but you needed, maybe you needed room to have parking in the backyard, but you didn't. So now you need to have a parking space in the front yard. The zoning bylaw says you can't do that. But if you can go, if you go in for a minor variance, you can apply basically, and you can have uh, council decide whether or not they're going to let you do that. So basically what happens is there's a mailing, it goes out to the neighborhood around around your house, and then the neighbors can come out and they can say their piece. City, city staff says their piece, so the people in the zoning department, people in building department, they all say their piece. Usually they would probably support that. Maybe zoning say, well, we don't like it, but given the area, we'll, we'll support it. So basically what the, the committee has to do is they have to decide, you know, are we going to approve it or not and they're looking at okay what did staff say staff liked it overall and then oh the neighbor mary doesn't like it but she she didn't have a very good argument okay we'll approve it today but i've been in a meeting where they're just like no never gonna happen we're not we don't see it this way like we just don't want that you know so you could literally have somebody wake up on the wrong side of bed and sway that committee to go the other way so your whole plan A was I'm going to get that second unit because this is easy, right? This makes so much sense. Of course, they're going to approve this. It's so minor. I just, you know, I'm one foot off on my setback on this one side and I want to go in for that minor variance. Like this is where it's important to, again, if you're, if you, if you bought this property and the only way for you to get your return on investment is, is this additional suite um, and you're banking on a minor variance, like there's just an extra level of risk there. Right. Yeah. So because um, the problem is, if you can't if you can't get the minor variance, you can't apply for the building permit. Yeah. You can't get your legal status. Yeah. 
right? And but I do know um, there's and again um, there is opportunity there for um, for these uh, investors if they're willing to put in the work and 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 to take an extra level of risk, you know, to uh, to go through the minor variance process or to go through a zoning change to get more units. Like there can be a huge return on investment there in the end. Um, but you know, for for a first time investor, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that because, you know, um, it's just, it's a, it's an extra level, you know, level of risk. Um, and it depends on which city you're operating in, you know, cause some, some cities, you know, the minor variance process, like for parking, um, it's a pretty routine variance and is more automatic, you know, as far yeah. as being kind of rubber stamped and approved. Right. Um, some cities it's more challenging. Um, you know, like St. Catharines is a very tough city, uh, for minor variances. Like they're just not really supportive overall of, of duplex conversions. You know, Hamilton is very supportive. So, um, so the minor variance process in Hamilton is much simpler, uh, especially for parking or unit size. Like, like I just went through minor variance for a unit size, uh, to go from, so in Hamilton, uh, you know, the, um, the minimum unit size is 700 square feet. So I just went through minor variance and we got it down to, uh, 497 square feet for, uh, for a duplex conversion. And and the other unit was only 600 square feet. You got them to approve that. So they approved yeah. it. Yeah. So so I would have, in the past, looking at these, I've specifically looked at these and I've seen, okay, well, the basement would be under 700. 700 is the minimum, right? Yeah. I'm like, it would be under 700. No, I'm not looking at this project. And that's where the opportunity is. If you're the guy that knows Ken <laughs> and uh, Ken knows how to get these things approved, it still does not give a guarantee but if you know good people who know how to get things done, then all of a sudden now you can see opportunity where others are not willing. Yeah, absolutely. Like this, you know, these um, all of a sudden, you know, your eyes are open to a whole street of houses that yeah. you could buy and convert that nobody else is looking at because, you know, they're afraid to go through the minor variance process. Yes. Does, oh. So learning a skill and learning, learning and not being afraid of this yeah. is huge. I'll give you a similar story. So I had... Um, I had to deal with the heritage department in London because this whole area was was designated as a heritage area, even though this area was a joke, like just should never have been a heritage area. But there's a long story, which I could tell another day of how it got that way. But anyway, so it was like one side of the road or the other. If you're, if you're on the east side of Warncliffe, no one touches it because they, they know that it's a fight that they don't want to pick. And then on the west side of Warncliffe, it's like, every other house is being ripped to shreds and rebuilt like cuz they're you know they'll rip off the siding but on in the heritage area you can't so i saw this house come up for this price and i'm like holy crap like to get this house on the other side of that road would cost me another $80,000 so i'm like what if i could still get this through and i had already had an encounter with the heritage department and i learned how they work a little bit made friends with the heritage planner they're right at the top Guy liked me right off the bat and because I was always just asking him questions and just trying to respect his authority. And um, I brought him a proposal. I said, hey, you know, would this work if I wanted to do this? And it turned out that because the house was in this neighborhood, it was heritage. But because the house already had vinyl windows and vinyl siding, I could replace it with vinyl windows and vinyl siding. Whereas if it had wood windows and wood siding, I would have had to replace it with wood and wood or keep it. So you can't change. You can go like for like. So I basically... I put in a conditional offer to the seller 
And I risked, I said, I need you guys to give me four weeks. Like what seller is going to give you four weeks? So I'm like, I'll put down 10 grand. If I don't firm up, you keep $5,000. So I don't want to waste 5,000. So I I put 5,000 on the line and then I had all my planning costs. But after my conversation, I was very confident I'd get it done. And uh, sure enough, I, I went through the process within three weeks. I had my approval. They said, you can do it. And, and that was the single most profitable project I've ever done. Just by seeing a project, seeing an opportunity that other people would have said, like they would have seen it. They'd be like, not doing that, not going there. Right. So, I mean, I know it's a little bit tangent, but yeah, being able to see that value and turn it into a real win. Um, I, I can't think of a better example of what I've personally done. Have you, have you seen things like that in your travels as well, Ken? Absolutely. Like, um, again, the, you know, the investor who wants to do the extra hard work and, um, go through some of these, um, you know, different application processes and, and variances or zoning changes, like there's a huge opportunity there. And um, I look at it now, sometimes I feel like I have a bit of insider knowledge on some of this stuff, right? Because now I, I can go to different cities and, and look at different um, parts of the city and, and different um, types of housing stock and be like, I could easily convert that thing, yeah. you know? And, um, and uh, I know I would need a minor variance for it or what have you. But I know the uh, this particular committee of adjustment, and I know that they would look favorably upon this. Yeah. Right. If everyone just followed the zoning bylaw, like we wouldn't have the big major developments that we see happening. We wouldn't see changes yeah. happening within the city. And so it takes investors, it takes developers who are willing to basically, you know, quote unquote, like you know, kind of fight the city um, and challenge the city on their own bylaws in order for us to continue to grow as a city and provide more housing stock and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there's a responsible and an irresponsible way of approaching that. Absolutely. Right? Because absolutely. they're responsible, like it, going back to my example, the responsible way was I only risked $5,000. If I had bought that house and they said no, well, now I'm in a neighborhood that no one wants to buy in because they're afraid of heritage control. You know what I mean? I would probably, lo- I would have lost money. I would have uh, interest, closing costs, land transfer tr- tax. I would have lost way more money than that. Like you start on smaller types of projects that you, um, know um understand a bit more easier like so you start with you know a small minor variance for parking on a duplex conversion on hamilton mountain on a bungalow right a very easy kind of thing to get your head around um not too much risk there but there's a little bit of risk there um and eventually you know you work your way up into ultimately like what these big condo developers go through um, and getting official plan amendments and zoning changes and all sorts of stuff in order to get these towers built. Right? That that's like the opposite end of the yeah. spectrum. But there's everything in between, right? right? And um, you know, it's just it's every investor will eventually go through this journey. Like you just have to start on smaller projects or smaller houses or, yeah. or a single family home, and you eventually you work your way up into you know duplexes and triplexes in a six unit or a ten unit or a twelve unit or, or right. thirty unit apartment building. You know, like yeah. Yeah. so. So now switching back on to you here, uh, what level of service are you providing to your clients? Like where do they start with you and where do your, where do your services stop? Yeah. So basically I get involved, um, you know, typically right after the house is under contract, you know, uh, before it closes. Um, and so I'll, so I'll get in, like they call me up and say, Ken, you know, we want to do a, a conversion. Um, and so I'll, I'll come out there during the conditional period, uh, basically just to help them confirm that we can actually you know, legally convert this property, you know, 
to the best uh, of my ability as I can on a, on a little walkthrough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once, um, and then sometimes at that point, I'm, I'm in there taking measurements right away, getting ready for my drawings. Um, and so I basically will take them through the permit process, um, getting all the floor plans done, the elevations, the uh, you know construction details, all that kind of stuff ready so that you know we can submit it to the city um, and then give the drawings to the contractor to quote. For the uh, the renovation work, so I, I typically will take it all the way through the the, the city process until we get the approved building permit um, in our hands. Okay, so do you? So you're kind of general contracting the design and, and approval process. Yeah. So like, yeah. yeah, I'll do all the permit work, and then from there, you know, if uh, the client wants to continue with me for the renovation work, then I'll you know put a quote in for the uh, the renovation so work. So do you have your own general contracting company? Yes. So you will actually yeah. you have your own employees that will do the work or you have your own subcontractors? Yeah, so it's a mix of, you know, uh in-house guys, subtrades and um you know subcontractors and, and electricians and plumbers and, and and all all of that. Um so depending on on the client, there's some clients where basically I'm taking them all the way through um even into the tenant filling process um and property management. Um, now wow. I don't, uh, I don't actively go out there and pursue property management, but, um, for, you know, so, you know, my family and I, we have, uh, 50, 51 rental units. So, um, like we're already operating as a property management company, you know, whether we like it or not, um, as long as we're going to continue to buy rental properties, we're going to be getting more and more tenants. So for some, for some select clients, you know, um, who are doing the permits with me, the renovation work with me, depending on if they're uh, live in the city or if they're from outside of the city. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go the extra step and help them fill the unit. And, um, you know, for, for uh, a couple clients, you know, we've, we've evolved into a property management agreement in, um, in the end. Yeah. But for most, for most people, it's just permits or renovations. Yeah. They, they want you to probably take them through the hard part. Like I know if, if I hadn't been through the planning process and, and approvals for permits, I would probably want somebody like you to just get it done for me. Yeah. And having like being a contractor as well, like it's it, um, like I was, a, I was, um, well, I was a designer and then, um, you know, and then I started a construction company and then I kind of went back to designing. And so I kind of have skills in both fields okay. so it really helps um on the permit side uh you know to just make accurate drawings that contractors can read and understand and ultimately build um yeah. and and like my my focus and specialty is on uh conversions um you know duplex conversions so like smaller buildings smaller houses um and so it's uh, i think it's it works well uh, it's been working well for my clients and my my uh, mm-hmm. contractors and trades trades that uh, that i work with um, just to get just good drawings um, that, you know, um, show the information properly for people to build. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. Uh, working with somebody who does a good job of, of drawings is are they specking out the cheapest material that that satisfies the requirement too, right? Like uh, how many times do I see plywood being called for when OSB would have done? And for those who aren't familiar with that, OSB is like the chipboard. Uh, it's still strong. It'll get it done, but it you know it might be twenty, thirty percent cheaper uh, than plywood. Maybe even forty percent sometimes. And um, you know I've seen designers cost a lot of money by calling for the wrong materials or unnecessary materials. They're just wasting money. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And this this kind of goes down a different yeah. road. Um, <laughs> but and yeah, it, just speaking to <laughs> to why it's good to you know to have a designer who knows how to make a good plan that works. Uh, you're not going to have problems with, and it's not going to waste your money. 
So this is where I would suggest to people is to, uh, when you're seeking out a designer or an architect or an engineer, um, is to find those guys or girls out there who have construction experience. Um, yeah. Because there is a whole field of architects and engineers out there who, who aren't really active in the construction industry. Yeah. And so when they don't have a pulse on the cost of construction, um, and kind of what it takes to, uh, to implement some of these pro- projects. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've seen it with various, uh, designers and stuff like that too. Like they're great designers, but you can't yeah. build, you can't build their designs. Like there's, yeah. there's, it's, it's way too complicated. Um, yeah. They don't realize it in practice, how hard it's going to be to put yeah, it together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense on paper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, this is where just, you know, finding people who have experience in both fields because, you know, yeah. You know, primarily duplex conversions, you know, you're working on existing yeah. houses, it's not new construction, um, and you're doing just a lot of renovation work, right? Um, and so the drawings, you know, have to be detailed enough that, you know, it will, it will pass the planning department as yeah. far as what the city wants to see, but still simple enough that your everyday contractor, investor, or homeowner can easily understand what's yeah. going on. So if I could sum that up, I think it's absolutely huge that uh, that they have some sort of construction experience or they're really like they get it. You know what I mean? My the engineering firm I work with, they do designs as well, but they just seem to get it like they they know that, you know, you want to call for the cheaper material generally. But, yeah, I, I definitely do see some things that they do wrong. Um, I think there are pros and cons with any firm you go with. But I think the the, the biggest takeaway the biggest takeaway I'd want to get he- out of this is that it's not just the cheapest guy you want to go out of, go with. You want to go with the guy that that understands uh, has a track record for people liking their designs. Um, one thing I did is I actually asked the trust designer who he liked to see drawings from. You know, ask people and ask trades people, right? Hey, who do you like to see drawings from? You know, have you seen a good designer? And then, you you know, you just find a copy of a print with a name on it. You can call them, right? Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. for people who aren't around here or don't have the luxury of, uh, of working with uh, with Ken here. So, um, yeah, it's a, definitely a good conversation to have. Um, so you said you have 51 units between your family and yourself. How many units are you at personally with what you've done um, you know, starting in 2010 where you bought your first one. Um, so like how many doors? Sure. Doors or properties, whatever way is easier to describe it for you. Um, got to count now. <laughs> Ballpark's okay too. Uh, 12. So you're at, you're at 12 units right now. Yeah. Okay. So 12 units. Um, what's the main, the main type of property? Are they all like residential duplexes? Yeah. Basically all duplexes. So and students, families, or a mix? Um no, I got some McMaster rentals. Um and uh yeah, so I have you know, I got like eighteen students I rent to. Um okay. and uh but just it's all bungalow conversions is, is all that I personally own is bungalow yeah. conversions, yeah. Is is your cash flow strong and so it's mainly Hamilton market, right? Uh Brantford and Hale. I got bungalows okay. in both okay. cities. Bungalows yeah. in both. Um, probably cash flow is a little stronger in Brantford, is it? Um, well, it's not a fair comparison because my Hamilton bungalows are student rentals. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. That um, it's not necessarily yeah. the same. Um, but, uh, but they, they, they do cash flow the same. They so cash flow like the same? my, yeah. my Brantford, um, uh, bungalows cash flow, um, the same as my Hamilton ones, but the Hamilton ones, no, they, they cost me more. So yeah. I have a higher carrying cost on those ones, but, um, but it's still probably net out the same. Okay. So I want you to 
think about a good deal that you've done, one of your personal properties that you've probably done a burr on, uh, where you bought it, you renoed it and refinanced it at the end. You've done that, I'm, I'm assuming. So a straight that I kept on, like that, that I held yeah, on yeah, to? Yeah, something that you bought, renovated and refinanced, well, or, or kept even if you didn't refinance it. Can you give me like a, a cocktail napkin uh, number rundown on, on one yeah, of them? Yeah, so, um, so I'll tell you when I finished up uh, this past uh, December. Um, and so it was a, uh, it was, yeah, a thousand square foot bungalow, um, in, in Brantford, in Echo Place in Brantford. Um, and, uh, we bought it for, uh, uh, 340, 340,000, uh, just a dated bungalow. It's a good solid house, just dated. Um, and, uh, so we put about, what did we put into it? Um, 116,000. Put so, into it so that was a renovation and permit fees and everything yeah so all in 116 like, yeah so everything i paid um everything i paid out to my contractors and materials and invoices receipts including taxes permit fees okay. was about 116 if i recall okay i'd have to go back to that include carrying costs as well or carrying costs rental on top? costs just rental, rental okay costs. yeah yeah okay. so um so we did that over a four-month period the renos um and then basically we had a month of, uh, of, uh, of showings. Um, and so then, so it's a three bedroom main floor unit and a two bedroom basement unit fully separated. Uh, we separated all the utilities as well, separate heating systems, oh, beautiful. Um, utility like hydro hydro and we separated water. Yeah. Um, and the, the main floor, we took out load bearing walls and opened up the kitchen, living room, uh, you know, new bathroom, new flooring. Um, so the full main floor was done and then the basement was all brand new. We, we, we gutted it back to the concrete floor, uh, and the, uh, the concrete wall. Uh, again, we did some structural changes in the basement in order to open up the, uh, the kitchen living room area in the basement. Um, so we did quite, you know, a full, full rehab to the, uh, the yeah. house. Um, and, uh, so the main floor rented for, um, so that one rented for 1550 plus utilities for the main floor. Um, and the basement rented for, I got 1550 for the basement. So you got 1550 for both. Oh, no, sorry. 1450 for the basement. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking some new numbers now that I'm working off of, but, um, so that one, cause that was back in December. So, uh, you know, rents were a hair, you know, a little bit less, uh, in December. Um, so yeah, we got 1450 for the basement, uh, 1550 for the main. Okay. So, so that puts you at, uh, $3,000 on the house. Yeah, I think it's three, we're getting three thousand fifty. Okay, so so total rent is uh, thirty fifty, and you don't have utilities. So off of the three thousand and fifty, what cash flow do you see after your mortgage? Yeah, so we uh, refinanced it. So um, so my I guess my qualifying position is uh, is a bit different because we're so this property is run through a corporation. Um, and so, uh, and then the, uh, the lender I'm working with, I'm working with CIBC, but I'm working through the private wealth division. Okay. So, um, so uh, the qualifying is a bit different there. Um, so we, we could, we only go up to 65%. Oh, 65. Value. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's just part of our business model in, in our growth mode that we're going through is that we're, you know, we're, we're, um, in order to do more, we're, um, having to leave more money in the, in the right. properties. Um, just to continue to qualify. Okay, but so between your your reno and your uh, purchase, you're in for about uh, well, the total reno and purchase is four hundred and or sorry, four fifty six thousand. 
there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what value did you get on your appraisal? So on the bank appraisal, the bank appraisal came in at 485 okay. on a bank appraisal. Um, market value um, for a turnkey legal duplex um, was, you know, at least 500. I did have one one uh, realtor investor who offered to buy it off me at 520. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But uh, no, I told him like, no, get lost. <laughs> like I'm holding on to this thing. This is this is mine. Uh, I just like to hold on to property. I'm not one to um, to turn around and, and flip it off. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, you know that was a pretty decent one. Um, we're able to get our renovation money back. Um, okay. So yeah, if you did sixty five percent, that would have been three hundred and twelve thousand two fifty. If that yeah. sounds roughly familiar. Yeah. Um, okay, so if we were to take away, like if you did do, if you were to run the number at say going up to eighty percent loan to value, which would be yeah. typical, like is, like I'm running the numbers based on my personal. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, so your cash flow is going to be a bit better because you're uh, you're obviously lower lower leverage. Um, are you on a twenty five year amortization or a thirty? Uh, that's twenty five years. Twenty five. So that's the other thing when you get into. Uh, well commercial lending sometimes or yeah maybe the the private wealth they they require a uh, quicker amortization yeah so that one was uh 3.34 variable do you recall like if you you have a ballpark cash flow number for that one like after you be honest i I don't know no um i don't know uh it's all grouped into our our um okay yeah our other properties and stuff like that um and to be honest i've been so busy i haven't even like looked back at that house because i'm on like four other houses like beyond that um and i just haven't had the time to actually going too fast (laughs) well let's just do it right now Uh, let's just do some hypotheticals just so we can give people an idea so you've got 30 50 in rent uh your taxes just guesstimate uh uh, 275 a month uh so 275 um and then you've got insurance per month what do you think so I would say it's a hundred bucks a month because like, again, all our stuff's in a commercial policy across all the properties. So it's not like it's pretty affordable. Sep- yeah. It's not like it's a separate policy just for that. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. I, the way uh, mine works is that it just, they just tack on a property to it. So there's an extra fee, but I still try and keep it separate. Yeah. But yeah, I know they always send it as one bill, like pay this one lump sum. I'm like, no, but separated. So, cause for tax tracking, you have to, you have to say which property it was associated with. Um, okay. So you've got your taxes, you've got your insurance, um, any other expenses? Well, you'd have a certain amount for maintenance. Yeah. So, um, like again, everything's brand new, so it's all brand new renovated. So again, for the, at least the next number of years, not going to be much maintenance. Um, again, the tenants are doing their own snow shoveling and lawn care on this particular beautiful so, property and they pay their utilities. So, so you might just have, you know, if you average it out, maybe you got, uh, 600 bucks a year or something like that 700 bucks a year yeah like i go in change the furnace filters once in a while yeah and, it's, and it's good to have something there even if you just save 50 bucks a month or you know or 75 bucks a month just just for odds and ends of course when you finally have to paint the place those you know those things yeah. cost money right so i like to budget something for that and then you're managing it yourself yeah we self-manage yeah okay so um as far as your mortgage goes do you know approximately what your monthly payment is on that uh sixteen twelve a month so sixteen twelve a month, so thirty fifty minus the sum of all those expenses. Do you want to know what your cash flow is, Ken? It should be around a thousand bucks, but yeah, you could have just said that. Yeah, I, was, I was trying to make sure you did your math right. <laughs> yeah, so I got nine hundred. No, I have a good sense. I have a good sense for yeah. where my properties are operating at. Like you know, um, I've done enough of them to. 
I know that they're going to be, you know, eight, nine hundred, a thousand bucks, sometimes twelve hundred. Um, but I, like I said, I've been so busy. I haven't even like sat down to even run some of the numbers, like the finished numbers yeah. on these properties. Um, although like I know in my gut where they're at, I just, every once in a while I like to sit down and I like to just see exactly where it's at. And then I feel a little disappointed. I'm like, man, I want that higher. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good motivation. Um, okay. So I like to break down the return. Um, if you've listened to a few of the episodes, you'll know, like occasionally I like to really dig into the numbers because, and I haven't done it in a while. So this is a good opportunity. So when calculating the return, there's obviously uh, a few different ways that we cal- that that you're winning. Um, one of those ways is obviously your cash flow. So on an annual basis, in this this scenario, your cash flow is so the 988 times 12. So it's about 12 grand a year. Then I like to say uh, appreciation. Usually, I just go with like three percent, nothing too crazy. Say you're starting at a five hundred thousand dollar value, um, and we're going up three percent a year. 15,000. Uh, and then mortgage pay down. I usually just go with uh, three or 4% of the principal amount because that's usually a good ballpark. In your case, because you have the faster amortization, I'm going to say that's 4%. 0.04 times your mortgage, which was uh, 315 to start. You're, you're actually returning about $40,000 a year on this property. And that $40,000 a year if we divide that by your investment, your net investment, which is $140,000 after we factor your mortgage, you are getting 28% return on your money. And that's pretty typical for these types of bungalows. Like, um, you know, I got I had some that have come in at 30, 34%, 40%. Um, yeah, it depends. It goes back to, you know, how much you're buying, uh, how much you're putting into it, the rentals, um, you know, your financing condition, you know, position. Um, you know, what types of rates you're getting terms, yeah. you know, well, you could drastically increase that number if you get 80% financing, but you're so far along in this game, like you're, you're already, you know, past where residential lending is really going to look at you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They don't, uh, they don't look at me anymore, which is, uh, which is sad because you think that, you know, you would think that these you know, big five banks would want to work with more established investors, you know, like it's, it's my own beef I have with them. I'm like, you know, guys, like, why don't like you guys will give loans all day long to the first time home buyer who only has 5% in the game, you know, 5% down. Um, yeah, you know, an experienced investor, you know, who's got a whole bunch of properties and a lot more equity, a lot more experience managing houses and you won't, you know, you give them only, like um 65% loan to value. They just like act like <laughs> they just act like insurance companies, right? Everything's like, "Oh, what's our what's our level of risk here?" and they're just going based on, well, a lot of people who, you know, they watch a TV show and they're like, "Hey, I think I want to buy a rental property." And then they do it and there are people out there who will buy a rental property and they'll they'll uh, mismanage it and they'll get into a heap of trouble. Their tenant stops paying and then they stop paying their mortgage on their rental property before they'll stop paying the rent, uh, the mortgage on their home. So I guess that's where that logic sort of started and why they, they're more happy to lend on a home than they are on a rental property because they know you care about the home more. But I, I can see where their logic comes from. It's just a little frustrating because you're obviously a safe bet, but you don't fit inside their mold. So that's where what you're doing, thinking outside the box, going for alternative lending solutions, even if it's in private wealth or commercial lending. So what you can do, uh, you can go to a commercial lending department and you can package up X number of doors. So right now, I think it would be need to be at least five or more 
uh, doors, and now that's looked at as commercial, they're not going to give you 80%. They might give you 75 but that's still good. Yeah, no, like, in the, and these are things that, um, like, right now, we're still uh, working with private wealth for a bit for, uh, you know, hopefully a couple more mortgages. Um, they give me, you know, a couple so far this year. Um, I'm trying to squeeze out a couple more from them. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're moving on to, uh, you know, uh, the next step is basically um, the commercial side, like TD commercial yeah. or a C- CIBC commercial. Um, also looking at these um, mortgage investment uh, corporations. Yeah as well there's so many sources of financing that are out there if you know what you're doing and you can come up with a good deal no and we're we're ultimately going to be paying higher higher interest rates um but uh you know uh it's going to allow us to keep growing and doing more properties and um again this is where i'm looking at my own personal situation i'm like okay um you know seeing the writing on the wall with duplex conversions and then seeing the writing on the wall with with qualifying you know uh once you get over a certain amount of properties then it's like um, you have to look for more creative opportunities to force more cash flow, to force legal cash flow, so legal income, so that um, you know you, you can just keep growing your portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, legal being the key word there, and I know you had mentioned this to me when we weren't uh, on camera, uh, but banks won't consider your illegal units, right? If if you yeah, wanna- it's like some some lenders some lenders will take uh the income from a lease agreement even though it's an illegal unit um but some banks you know they want to see that as a legal unit you know um and so sometimes it's a bit different on the purchase side than on the refinance side um so on 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 the refinance side like it's more important to have that as legal income yeah you know when you're trying to uh refinance that property and and have it as uh, a legal unit yeah to get value from it yeah i see what yeah. you're saying because normally when you buy a property whatever that was purchase and sale agreement is written at is what the appraiser will appraise it at but when you go for a refi they're really going to look closely at well is this legal and what are you getting from it and um and all that and, and an appraiser is going to want to know that it was done right yeah like the appraiser has to put on his appraisal report you know what's the market rent for the property mm-hmm. right and if, and but he can only put on his report what the legal rent is based on the current legal use of the um, of the house, right? So if it's a legal single family home, that's all you can put on on the appraisal report is you know twenty five hundred or whatever it is for the uh, yeah. yeah the rent. Um, yeah, so like sometimes people get kind of uh, stuck on the refin refinance because they can't refi the property because yeah. it's not a legal unit, you know. Yeah goes goes back to to being knowledgeable and making sure you're buying legal units make sure you convert them legally too so that you can truly benefit from them you know it's not to say that you couldn't have a den that you 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 know that's fully fire compliant that you rent out as a bedroom too um you know you can do things like that but if you're going to be taking those risks make sure they're mitigated make sure they're small risks right like if you can put in like a little a coat of paint and a new window and, and now you've got yourself an extra bedroom that might make you know 500 600 a month you know what, what's your payback as long as i don't get shut down in the next year it was worth it you know like yeah you know, and maybe the thing that's is, it. like uh the problem p- part of the problem is is you know if, if if you're if you just have a you know one or two houses right um and if you have a good uh t4 salary like qualifying may not be as more difficult but um as house prices continue to rise, you know, we're, we're asking these lenders for bigger and bigger mortgages. Um, qualifying gets harder and harder. 
Um, you know, wages aren't keeping up with uh, the cost of housing. So like qualifying is going to be a major issue for the vast majority of investors. Like, and if you're not already fa facing those um, battles or, or hitting those walls with the lenders, you will. You yeah. will eventually well, hit those walls, right? It's coming. And um, so you have to set yourself up at the very beginning for as much legal income as you can possibly get behind your name. Yes. If your goal is to continue to buy more property. Right, right. You know, yeah, do it the right way. And I, I think, you know, side tangent, we're not going to get into it today, but I really do think we're going towards a day where most Ontarians, most people who live in Ontario do not own their own homes. They're, they're going to be renters. And we're going to have a, you know, a select few that are owning the vast majority of our properties uh, just because they can't afford them anymore. It's been driven up by foreign investment, this and that. So uh, yeah, the more you can do to position yourself well now, might help you to get on the right side of that so you'll be the uh, the guy that owns all the properties renting them out yeah so. and like especially for that first time investor or the first time homeowner or that young couple who's just starting out in life and they're looking at what they should be buying you know for their their new home like i say guys get yourself a nice bungalow do a legal unit in the basement um it's going to help pay down your mortgage um it's going to become your little nest egg you're going to refinance that thing move on to your next stage of yeah. home right? Make that first one a full rental property and you just keep moving on and moving up. Um, that's how my wife and I started. It's done. We've done very well with it. Um, and, um, and I wish I, I wish a lot of my friends would have, would, done, the same. Would have done the same thing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, some of them are of the mindset that there are no way I'm not going to have somebody live in my basement or, or I want to have this big, beautiful house yeah. right away when I'm married. And, um, you know, um, I just shake my head and I'm like, okay, you, you guys do, do what you need to do. But, um, you know, um, I think it's a bad decision. You know, if, if it, if it were my, <laughs> my decision, I would, I would live in, in, uh, you know, something that had a converted unit in it just, just for that exact reason. Like, you know, if I'd rather let somebody else pay down my mortgage, be able to write off a certain portion as tax deductible. There's so many, uh, there's so many benefits, uh, to that. And, uh, yeah, well, we all have spouses that we need to, uh, get on board with things. So, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and uh, like people have to get over the fact that this first house that they're investing into or buying into is not going to be their forever home. Yeah. Maybe for some people it is, it is their forever home, but you know, for, for a lot of people, like, you know, they are eventually going to move on to another house. Right. And so you have to take the emotions out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. Absolutely. I do have a question for you because I don't want us to uh, to go on forever. And there were some things I wanted to ask you. So one is uh, for our listeners who are maybe early in the game, you know, what's something that you wish you could have given? You know, if you go back to the, the 2010, Ken, uh, what would you tell yourself if you could go back and tell yourself something as an investor? I would tell myself to pull the permit from the very beginning because um, my first property I never did. Um, and I got busted halfway through the reno and I ultimately did have to get a permit, yeah. but, um, um, you know, I would say don't, don't be afraid of, of trying to work with the city through your, uh, yeah. your first property on, on the renovation side. Yeah. Don't cut corners, uh, you know, renovate properly, renovate well, mm -hmm. um, and make sure you sound rate the, uh, the units, like put in the insulation, put in the extra drywall, the green glue, do whatever you can to mitigate noise on these units because that's one thing that after the fact um a noise complaint is much harder to fix 
after the house is being renovated yeah. than uh, than trying to do it you know um during the renovation wow yeah that's a that's a gold nugget right there yeah the soundproofing between units i've heard that's such a huge thing uh I've it's never- the first thing that people yeah. will cut out of the budget and, or they don't think they need yeah. and then they're like oh my goodness like where there's noise issues or i can hear the walking the talking um and then they're trying to find solutions afterwards to fix it like stuffing vents or putting down carpet runners and all these sorts of things to mitigate the noise yeah and it's should like, have been done right should in the have first been done place. at the beginning you know yeah. yeah yeah absolutely do do your soundproofing i have one one duplex that i didn't renovate and uh yeah i'll hear the kids uh, say oh well we can hear them upstairs like they're not too bad but we can hear them i'm like well it just takes a bad group up there and now you guys are going to want to leave you know yeah. and i don't I, want I've, that i've had i've had tenants move out because of noise yeah so so do it right you know you know just do it right regardless right whether you're keeping it or not keeping it it's uh you know it's not that big of an expense and it's a hell of a lot more expensive for somebody else to fix yeah. after the thing is with noise is you can't see noise right so it's something that you know you invest the money you invest the money into noise proofing yeah. in products that you ultimately never see mm-hmm. right um, but you can hear the difference but it's yeah it's enjoyment for sure um what's one thing you would tell your uh, well just to anyone it doesn't have to be just you but somebody getting started or, or early on they haven't yet tackled the permit side of things they haven't yet done it what would you tell them not to do i mean aside from not getting a permit what else would they would you tell them don't do this um, um, I would say like, try and plan well, at least, you know, if you're not going to get a permit, um, at least try and do like sketch out a accurate floor plan and think ahead through the renovation. Um, the best way to optimize the space, you know, think about your mechanicals, um, your ductwork, your, your plumbing, your P traps, uh, your venting, your stacks, like think about where these, th- these things are located and just plan through the renovation properly so that, you know, when you're not trying to solve issues on the fly and you end up with all these weird and awkward bulkheads and stuff because you know, there's yeah. been no forethought done through the planning process. So um, like obviously this is where a good designer can help you optimize the space and think about these things during the renovation. Um and as you know, a first-time investor or a first-time homeowner going through renovation, you don't think about planning necessarily. And this is where I see a lot of like yeah. first-timers doing their renos. It's like a hack job. It's terrible, bad layout. I'm like, guys, we would have just thought a bit more yeah. about this. Like we could have totally, you know, optimized the space way better and it wouldn't have cost you a whole lot more money. In other words, work with a professional. One Number one, get a permit. Number two, work with a professional that is is going to help you see these things that you can't see you know when i started i had no idea how big of a deal knowing where to put your your hvac trunks is you know where the trunks run those are the big uh rectangular uh uh, tin trunks that that transport the large volumes of air in and out of the furnace Uh, they run along the house lengthwise usually and they're usually a headroom issue you know, if you got them running right down the center, now all of a sudden you might not have an, enough headroom. So when I was getting started, I didn't really know the implications of, of not knowing where those should go. Um, I didn't know what the implications truly were. So, yeah, work with a professional, I would say. Like, it's just especially when you get started, you know, down the road when you know, then maybe you can you can do a little bit more yourself. But uh, it really would make sense uh, getting started. OK, uh, Ken, when uh, when somebody would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do so? 
So the best way to uh, reach out to me would be, uh, you know, one, you can reach out to me through Facebook. Um, it's just my name, Ken Beacondam. I'm the only one in existence, so you can easily Lucky find you. me on <laughs> Facebook. Uh, the other one would be to go to uh, my website, uh, uh, legalsecondsuites.com. Um, and I do have a checklist there. So if you're trying to determine whether or not you can legalize a property, definitely download the checklist, legalsecondsuites.com slash checklist. And then you can sign up and then um, it will be emailed to you and you can download it. Um, and basically just kind of walks you through some basic building code requirements, basic zoning issues, um, uh, things to look for when, you know, when purchasing your, your property or your investment property, if you're going to do a conversion, um, just things to look for so that you're not caught by surprise. Awesome. Okay. Now a couple of quick questions for people to get to know, know you. Uh, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby is, um, if you want to call it a hobby, is boating. Like, I love to be on the water. I love, uh, grew up with boats in our family. Um, and so whenever I can get out there, I try and get out there. Um, that's more like, I guess, a, an activity. A oh, no, support. that's a hobby. <laughs> but um, also, I see all your stuff here as far as, like, music and drums. And yeah. I love, I'm a musician too at heart, so. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, dream vacation. Dream vacation is to... Um, whether it's my own or one that I charter, but a private yacht um, to uh, charter a private yacht with, say, you know, four other couples or something, you know, a nice big hundred foot private yacht, you know, go to the, the Bahamas or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's probably take a bunch of money to do it. Oh, yeah. But that would be, I think, a sweet uh, vacation. Yeah, you'd probably spend like $20,000 in fuel getting to the Bahamas, but uh <laughs> That's a great, yeah, so that's like a great, some of these private yeah, yachts, you know, they're, they're a hundred thousand. They could be 500,000 a week to charter, Yeah, you know, so say uh, the smaller ones, you know, they're about a hundred thousand a week. So you split that between you know, four or five couples or whatever, you know, cause sometimes these bigger yachts can sleep yeah. 10. So you got five couples, hundred grand, 25 grand or 20,000 each. Yeah. 10,000 per couple you know it's not bad you work out the math no, you know we shouldn't bring the numbers into this, this is the dream yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about the numbers yeah yeah just don't tell my fiance that <laughs> um okay awesome awesome and um one interesting thing that most people don't know about you um one interesting thing that people don't know about me um i guess for some people who have been following me for a while uh, they probably know this but uh, i am an alpaca farmer Okay. So, um, so we do have a, a farm out in the country, 10 acres. We have a bunch of alpacas and some other animals that we, uh, we raise. So I guess I kind of alluded to that at the very beginning yeah, is, uh, you know, my morning chores going out into the barn and letting the animals out. Um, so it's kind of, that's kind of like a, a hobby as well. Hobby activity. It's a little kind of, yeah, uh, no, that's great. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, Ken, thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time to come into the studio here and, uh, and share your story. I really appreciate it. And I hope, uh, hope the viewers, uh, soak it up because there's, there's, uh, there's tons of value in just understanding how this process works. And, and, uh, if it helps a couple of people do a deal, I think we, uh, we, uh, had a success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't be afraid guys of, of the process. Um, it's not as scary as you think. Um, but, you know, if you're working with the right professional, then um, you can definitely uh, do it. So Awesome. Okay. Well, Ken, we'll have to have you on again sometime. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, about your duplexes and, and whatever else you're onto. I know you're working on something else, so we'll, we'll touch base. Yeah, more on that later. <laughs> All right. Okay. Talk to you soon. Just a quick wrap up for the episode. Ken was very informative. I really enjoyed that discussion and I hope you enjoyed it too. 
If you'd like to reach me, you can reach me at the Andrew Hines on either Facebook or Instagram. And if you're on YouTube, feel free to comment below and I will do my best to get back to you.